0: Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by John Crampton. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. All right, what I want to do this morning is uh, talk to you about forgiveness and why it is such an important thing for us as followers of Jesus that we walk in forgiveness And what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you an opportunity to practice some forgiveness. So I'm going to talk about something first, which I know is probably going to cause a couple of people to be a little uncomfortable. But it's okay. I have a remedy for you. I'm going to talk about forgiveness and then you can actually then forgive me. How's that? Is that good? So stay with me. Uh don't, don't, uh don't check out because uh, we get so impacted or influenced by what is the standard narrative that we begin to think that's the only way to view something. Okay, I'm setting you up. All right. So, in this last week, in the Middle East, there has been a war. And Palestine and Israel have been trading rockets and missiles. And it is a hang of a mess. And this has provoked an enormous outpouring of comment and response from all sides. And... Depending on what you think about certain things politically and theologically, you may have a particular emotional response to what was going on. And what I want to do is just to say, folks, there's more than one side to a story. You didn't want to hear that. All right. So already I've given you something that you'll be able to forgive me for. All right. All right. In this particular context, there are multiple sides to the particular stories that are going on. And, uh, and if you turn to one of our local news stations, they are going to come with a fairly consistent narrative and it's coming from one particular viewpoint. What I'd like to do is to say, folks, the particular majority viewpoint in South Africa is anti-Israel and is pro-Palestine. Why is that so? I'm glad you asked. Our country is currently governed by a liberation movement. And when the liberation movement was fighting to throw off oppression, one of the things that they said was they would not be completely free And that apartheid would not be completely dealt with until and unless the Palestinians were free. This is the stated objective of our government. And so it would come as no surprise to you that the government is not pro-Israel and is pro-the Palestinians. And this has been their consistent view for many decades now for some of you that is a surprise I don't know why it is a surprise because that is one of their their stated beliefs and one of their stated objectives and so if you are pro the liberation movement and we all rejoice in the freedom that we now have amen We need to understand that some of the liberation aspects were good and some of them was not so good. Standing on more toes now. All right. So whenever people turn and resort to to violence, to fraud, to all kinds of corrupt activities in the name of something that is good, it doesn't excuse the wicked acts. I think we're okay with that, as believers, right? So, uh, even in the liberation struggle, there were atrocities that were were committed on both sides, on both sides. And so, we cannot have a view that has a a sort of a membrane, a filter that only allows one side to be bad and the other side is all good and never has ever done anything bad. All right. So we understand that we're dealing with humans. Fallen nature. And so even if somebody's endeavoring to do something good, it's highly likely that in the process of doing something good, there are some bad elements that creep in. Bad decisions, all right? So it's possible even with a noble objective for some terrible things to take place. It's happened in our own nation, right? It happens in every struggle right across the planet. Okay, are we still friends? Some of you, okay. I just need to see how hard I need to press so that everybody in the room has got something to forgive. (laughs) All right. So our government and most of our media stations would be siding with the Palestinians against Israel. And it comes also from an ideological and a political um, perspective. And so that's why our government is is doing what it's doing, and why, for um, many years, whenever there has been help that has been extended by the hand of Israel, that the government has not accepted. You will remember when Cape Town was in the grip of a a devastating drought. They went basically to day zero and Israel offered desalination plants. Interestingly enough, the technology had been invented by a South African. But our government at that point was not interested this is obviously prior to the, the, the drought. And so Israel took up the rights for the desalination um, processes. They then came back to the country and said, Listen, we will help you setting up some desalination plants. This is in the Western Cape. And the government said, No, thank you. We do not accept help from Israel. Why? Because of an ideology. All right. So this has been happening in our nation for a while okay so therefore you've got one side that would only view whatever Israel does as being bad wicked negative and that they are suppressing the inhabitants uh, in Gaza and all of these um, different places and uh, they are illegal occupiers of uh, that land but they're the children of Abraham. And Abraham was around a very, very, very long time ago. And, uh, and so there's this, this enmity between the sons of Isaac and the sons of Ishmael. So, um, you know, to say that they're illegally occupying, uh, well... There's, there's all sorts of discussion around that. That goes back you know, about 3,000 years more. Okay. So you've got within these enclosed territories, you've got a civilian population, but you've also got a recognized terrorist group called Hamas. And they're recognized on the terror list, terrorist lists of almost all countries on the planet. And so we're talking about a terrorist organization that operates and does not observe the Geneva Convention and the rules of law. And embeds themselves deliberately in civilian populations. And so when they launch rockets the place from which they are launching those rockets, it's not you know, away from, from civilians. And so when there is a strike to neutralize that, unfortunately, there will be collateral damage. But the media is silent on that. In response... To a legal initiative, it was in the courts of law to remove 28 families in a particular area around Jerusalem. And of course we must understand what time of the year it is in terms of the religious calendar in the Middle East. Things were stirred up and it very quickly turned into a protest and not only was it a protest in the streets of Jerusalem, but also around the, the mosque. You know, you look at the postcards from Jerusalem, and everyone takes a photograph. It's a photograph of a Muslim place of worship. It's not got anything to do with, with Jewish or Christian worship. It's the Dome of the Rock. And, um, and so it's a holy place for Muslims when they are there they do their prayers, they turn and they face away from the mosque and they face towards Mecca. Which is interesting. I'm going to get some interesting responses from what I'm saying. But around the mosque, there were heaps of stones and some weaponry. They were prepared for a, for a riot. And so that riot was quelled, and in response to that riot being quelled, Hamas fired rockets into Israel and for the first time ever were firing towards Jerusalem. So this war is different from previous wars in the sense of you know, the uprising. Also, they've discovered that the rockets that they're firing now instead of the range being about 160 kilometers, now the range are about 200 kilometers. They've upgraded the missiles. Each missile, each rocket that they're firing is approximately 45,000 US dollars a piece. We're talking about a country that is pretty much bankrupt, cannot bankroll and pave its own way, but they fired over 2,000 of these rockets at 45,000 US dollars a piece. You gotta understand, we're talking a billion rand in a week has been spent in firing rockets at israel so who fired the rockets first hamas the media will not tell you that israel then responded israel sent notification of the f- the coordinates coordinates the places that they were going to bomb told people evacuate gave warning and then carried out their strikes. They've got a thing called the Iron Dome, which is a a series of anti-missile weaponry, and so when missiles or rockets are coming from Hamas, Israel then intercepts them. But this war is different from previous wars in that they are sending so many rockets at once that about 10% of those rockets are now getting through into Israel. So you've got to to ask yourself, where did this organization get its backing, its funding, its military hardware, and their traces back to Iran? So this is not just a spontaneous thing that happened because a few people were facing eviction, and it was a process that was happening in a court of law. You've got to spend months putting things in place to have that kind of an arsenal ready for a war. It didn't just happen this last week. But the media is not going to tell you that. When the building was taken, taken down, you might have seen this, this last week, there were two major buildings that were, that were taken out. If you look at the footage, you'll see that the building collapses almost in and on itself. That is highly sophisticated um, military campaign stuff. It's not indiscriminate, just spread it out like shrapnel. Warnings had been sent prior to the strike that people would evacuate the building, that there would be a a, a limited um, impact on um, civilian deaths, any of those kinds of things. So we've got one standard on the one side, but we've got a very different standard on the other side. Okay, just wanted to point out a few of the facts. Okay, now, just like some people as part of our family and we, we're a big, wide family and some people would say, yeah, we agree. Apartheid is not finally done until all the Palestinians are free. We've got folks in our family like this. Hallelujah, you're welcome. We love you. We've also got some other people on this side, and you're also welcome, and we love you, who think that Israel can do no wrong. That because they are God's chosen people, whatever they do is 100% correct. Folks, I've got news for you. There are people, fallen humanity, And they make some decisions that are not good and godly decisions. And there is no ways, as a believer in Jesus, that you can condone anything and everything that this one nation does and excuse it. I told you I was going to stand on everyone's toes. But we love you anyway. I think that you would do well to come this next weekend as we talk through what God's plan is for the end times, that you'll come to see that some of your understanding around Israel is actually comes from a flawed theological position. And that flawed theological position embraces some really weird uh, position that God has got some very special dispensation for the nation of Israel. And it comes from a thing called dispensational theology. And that is a very, very strange concoction. Because you're now developing a second route for salvation. In order to embrace that, you've got to say, oh, for all the rest of us, there is only one name by which we can be saved. That is Jesus. And it's through our faith in him that we can find salvation. But, uh, but for the Jewish people, God's going to give them a special Special, you know, uh, losing my word here. They get a special pass. They get a special dispensation. They get a special, you know, opportunity. And we come up with all kinds of crazy things about a thousand years. When we don't understand that some of the biblical language Oh, fine. I've got a few more toes I'm going to stand on right now. That we don't understand that in biblical language, when it says, I'd rather spend one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. It's not meaning a literal thousand days in the tents of the wicked. When the scripture says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills... It's not meaning that he only owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but a thousand and one hills are, well, that's too much for him. It's imagery. And so when he comes to rule for a thousand years, it's imagery. Oh, lost a bunch of you right there. So when we embrace this, this thing about a special dispensation and that the, the Jewish people have to have a, their own special way to get into the kingdom, you're, you're actually embracing a theology that is, um, well, the early church didn't know that theology. I'll just say that for now. Okay? Okay. All right, so now that I've stirred you up. Now that I've given you much to forgive me of. Remember, there's more than one side to what's going on. So there's more than one side. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to wonder why our government is going crazy against Israel and in favor of the Palestinians, and the U.S. administration is saying, guys, de-escalate, but Israel has a right to defend itself. Why are these totally different points of view? Now, I'm not saying I, the government is correct. I'm just saying there's more than one side to the story. And so when you listen to the news... And one side says this, and you feel emotion. It starts about here somewhere. And it goes, and then out of your mouth, and you're beginning to talk back to the radio. All right, what's going on? A button is being pressed, An opportunity for forgiveness is presenting itself. So now let me help you with this forgiveness thing. And I'll give you a thousand years to process that as well. I was just thinking earlier this week, two very powerful words. Very, very powerful words. I'm sorry powerful when we can say to somebody I'm sorry because it it diffuses tension it helps to de-escalate things in our relationships one with another because we we're taking the position of humility see pride says I'm always right you're always wrong. I'm above, you below. And so when, we, when we're in a position where, where no one can actually talk to us, confront us, whatever it is, we're not embracing humility. But the Lord calls us to walk in humility before Him and with one another. True. When we take the initiative by saying, I'm sorry, we're actually beginning to bring that restoration process into being. And forgiveness is the thing that actually restores the connection. But you can initiate that whole process through, I'm sorry. Because you're inviting Someone to participate in the forgiveness process. Jesus, uh, he put it like this in in Matthew chapter 5. It's, you know, we've got the, the Beatitudes, the beautiful attitudes of the kingdom. And he's talking about murder. He talks about anger. Because, you know, murder is the kind of the outworking, if you like, of unresolved, intense anger. Okay, so he talks murder, then he brings it down a notch, so to speak, going into the very heart of things, anger. And then he comes down another notch, and he said, now listen guys, when you are worshiping, and you're bringing your gift, and you're there in front of the altar, and you suddenly remember that someone else has got something against you, Leave your gift and go and make right. Then come back and worship. In other words, take the initiative. The kingdom thing is, because this is God's heart, we made in his image, we to be like God. For God so loved the world He took the initiative and he came to forgive us our sins. His name, Jesus, means he saves. Because he came to save his people from their sins. So God takes the initiative to bring reconciliation, restoration, to bring forgiveness. And so, I'm sorry is part of that hey, I'm taking some initiative here to go and put it right. So I stood on your toes, and I'm sorry. But this thing of forgiveness is super, super important. You know, in uh, in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, and you'll find this in Matthew chapter 6, um, I think you know this from verse 9 you got a bible? you want to switch it on quickly? It says this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors an interesting thing there debt is actually it's it's a financial connotation jubilee but that's for another day verse 13 and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one verse 14 for if you forgive other people when they sin against you your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others their sins Your father will not forgive your sins. This is not talking salvation. All right? When we are born again, when we put our faith, our trust, our hope in Jesus, immediately we are made right with God. We are justified. He declares us righteous, just as if I'd never sinned. So we come into alignment, all right? Never lose our salvation. Hallelujah. But my experience of the nearness of God's presence is impacted and affected by the way in which I live my life. He draws near to those who draw near to Him. True? Book of James. So when we draw near to Him, we draw near to Him in humility and in seeking forgiveness. But there are times when we As Daryl was saying earlier, you know, we just, we pull back a bit from God. So, at times we do things in our lives where we're actually pulling away from Him. Instead of saying, not my will but yours be done, we're saying, actually not your will but mine. Which is called sin. Thank you. So we can experience a bit of a gap. It's not our salvation, but it's our nearness, it's our intimacy walking with the Lord. It's are we in step or are we out of step? And so forgiveness brings us back to that place of experiencing his nearness, right? And if we want to experience his nearness, one of the things we need to do is to forgive others who've hurt us, damaged us, offended us, abused us, ripped us off, whatever it might be. But we also need to be extending that forgiveness to others. Because just as God forgave us, we too, like him, because we want to be like Him, we too forgive others. Yeah. You okay with this? Yeah. All right. So, we got our, our wonderful friend called Peter. He's uh, the fishing guy, and uh, loves to tell stories. And uh, he uh, he kind of like is... Uh, a bit of a hot-headed guy, and he jumps into things, and sometimes he acts before he thinks. And, um, and we love him because what he does is he exposes things that, um, or he says things that, you know, many of us would actually like to ask. But we just didn't have the courage. Yeah? And um, so he jumps in there, and, uh, and he says in Matthew chapter 18, all right, verse 21. Then Peter comes to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother who sins against me? Up to seven times? Like, you know, I'm a really righteous dude. You know, I'm a clean fisherman. I smell nice. <laughs> you know, up to seven times, which is, you know, like, wow. You know, I'm, I'm really going the extra mile on this one. You know, and seven representing the number of, of completion, you know. And so I'm, I'm really, you know, doing it. And so, Jesus has a wonderful answer for him. In fact, the answer that Jesus gives is for all of us, isn't it? I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. The original language, you can translate it 70 times seven. So it can go either way. The point is, on a daily basis, there's a whole lot of forgiveness that needs to go on. In other words, we need to walk in a spirit of forgiveness. It's not about, you know, counting up. Until I've reached a threshold and then I don't have to forgive. No, the context is, let your life be one that reflects endless forgiveness. All right. So it's a complete completeness that you need to forgive. So then Jesus tells us a story. Everyone loves a story. And he uses the story to demonstrate something of God's heart towards us and therefore the implications of our heart towards other people. Therefore, in verse 23, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. 10,000 bags of gold. In the original, it's 10,000 talents. And um, it's basically 20 years worth of wages. That's a lot of money. 20 years worth of wages. That's how much this guy owed. It's The context is... Millions of dollars. We like to use dollars more than rands. Not Zim dollars. 20 years worth of income. It's almost impossible to pay it back. That's the point. This is a huge sum of money. Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Really? With what? you got another 20 years? But what about, do you understand? It's, it's, what he was asking for was way beyond. True? Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt and let him go. Do you see that? Canceled. Didn't say, hey, let's arrange a repayment plan. We understand that times are tough and you know we'll we'll have a special covid plan for you. No. Canceled. Like take that 20 years worth of income. Put a line through it, just put zero. You owe me zero. Just as if you never owed me a thing at all. That's enormous. That's huge. Yeah? Verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants owed him a hundred silver coins. Or a hundred denarii in the original. This is the equivalent of one day's wage for a laborer. Come on, are you getting the contrast here? He owed 20 Years worth of wages. Forgiven, cancelled. He goes out and one of his mates owes him one day's worth of wages. I mean, this is mind-boggling, right? The contrast is enormous. So he grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. Probably he might have been able to. I mean it's one day's wages, right? But he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? I don't know what that does to you. But that thing just like poof, straight to the heart. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? It's a question of mercy. Mm-hmm. In the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful. For they, in turn, will be shown mercy. This is the heart of the kingdom. That we are merciful towards one another. Mm -hmm. Verse 34. In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you Unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. You know, as Jesus is telling the story, he's living with the 12 plus a whole entourage that's following for three, three and a half years. And Jesus is showing and he's modeling the heart of the Father. I mean, hot-headed guys, they want to call down thunder and lightning and fire on the Samaritans. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. It's kind of like, whoa, whoa, this is, you're not reflecting the heart of the Father. The Father is full of mercy. He extends mercy to you. How about we extend mercy to others? And Jesus is modeling this on an ongoing basis. He's living. Okay, They're not just coming to the office eight hours a day, five days a week. It's not like Jesus gets a break from the 12. No, he's, he's with these guys. For a few years. He's putting up with all of their nonsense. Yeah? And he's putting up with a guy called Judas. Yeah. Man, I I hadn't realized this before. (laughs) He's putting up with Judas. For three and a half years, he's putting up with Judas. He knows what Judas is going to do. And he never once gives the game away. Even on the night that he was betrayed, the rest, the other 11 thought that Judas was off to go and give money to the poor. His cover was not blown. Jesus just said, listen, go and do what you need to do and go and do it quickly. Jesus walking in forgiveness, extending mercy, modeling for us. Judas. <laughs> Come on now. Talk about state capture. Told you we were going to have things to forgive. Judas captured the money bag, Judas was a thief. And Jesus made him the treasurer. The gifts and the offerings to Jesus, he stole what was given to Jesus. I mean, the level of underhanded deceit incredible. And Jesus didn't take the money bag away from him. He he gave him every opportunity to repent. Every opportunity, grace upon grace upon grace. Opportunity upon opportunity to stop, turn around. Jesus is forgiving. Every time Judas is stealing something, Jesus is forgiving And the ultimate betrayal, Jesus forgives. Of course, we know on the cross, those words of Jesus, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. Those who had tortured him, Whipped him, savagely, beaten him, mocked him, pulled out his beard, spat on him, falsely accused, horrendous, Father forgive. Jesus modeled for us a life of forgiveness. Then he tells the story about how his father is willing to forgive and cancel all debt. But what should our response be? We've been forgiven a debt we could never repay. And somebody does some little thing equivalent of one day's worth of wages. And we want to throttle them. (laughs) Yeah, come on. God's a forgiving God. He's forgiven us so much. how about we model who he is it's kind of like wow you're so kind and gracious and forgiving yeah runs in the family Lord forgive them maybe it's a sign <laughs> lord lord we forgive <laughs> come on think about think about things Lord, we forgive our boss. Didn't give us the increase we wanted. Didn't recognize the hard work we'd done. We put in the extra hours. Didn't get recognition. We got blamed for something that wasn't our fault. Lord, we forgive. Lord, I forgive the school teacher who said I was dumb, useless, never going to make it. Spoke all kinds of negativity. Forgive. Lord, I forgive my brother. Forgive my sister. So mean to me, unkind, mocking, and beating me up, not being the support that I needed. Forgive. Lord, I forgive my parents. Times when I had expectations that they could not meet. Times when they did things that were just downright wicked. I forgive. Lord, I forgive church leaders. We're supposed to represent you, but they did things that were just not right. Forgive. Lord, I forgive the government. Just haven't done what I would hoped they would do. Forgive. I forgive Eskim. I forgive the water department. I forgive the roads department. I forgive the licensing department. I forgive the state of health care in this nation. I forgive the taxi drivers. I forgive those who stole, robbed from me. Forgive. Father, right now, I just turn my gaze to you. To say thank you for all that you've done in forgiving me. The debt I could never pay. You cancelled my debt. You said go free. Go free. You're forgiven. Thank you. Thank you thank you lord Hmm. thank you lord doesn't it feel better does it feel good yeah praise the lord One more thing. Would you forgive me for standing on your toes this morning? That'd be all right. Okay. Amen. 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 We were going to end this meeting so differently, but there it goes. Enjoy the Lord, enjoy His forgiveness, and enjoy this week. It's going to be a good one. Bless you guys.